Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex, it's Juad as always. It is May, the month of May, which is quite a special month for motorsport. If you're a keen motorsport follower, not only have you got a few F1 races, including the Monaco Grand Prix, you also have the Indianapolis 500 as well, two crown jewel events inside of one month and plenty other of stuff going on too. So thanks for joining us, it's May the 2nd, the week after the... Azerbaijan Grand Prix, which I'm going to be talking about on this week's episode, and an Azerbaijan Grand Prix that despite all the build-up and the hype and all the talking about how chaotic of a race it was going to be, ended up being rather a tame affair, so, you know, how does something that has the potential to be so chaotic ends up being so tame? Well, I guess it just meant that everyone was a lot more well-behaved this year than in previous years. So, um, yeah, let's get straight into it and got supercars on later as well. A bit of Fast and Furious style action in Perth this weekend and some other... We're going to hit the globe as well later to see what else is happening in the world of motorsport. But yeah, Azerbaijan, Baku this year. Tame race, as I've said already about a hundred times. Um, not that it was a bad thing, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't shocking, I'd say, but at the same time, you know, a trend is starting to emerge here, and of course, Mercedes have set a new record for four straight one-two finishes from the opening race of the season, Valtteri Bottas, his porridge, his, his beard as well, I guess, you know, he, he had porridge on the Saturday before he went out and took pole position, he probably must have had more porridge Sunday before the race too and let's call it the porridge redemption this year he avenged his win um at this venue that he lost last year so close I mean you know for about a year we were that's all we were talking about when it came to Baku and Valtteri Bottas is how he was leading that race and then his tire blew out and you know the sullen images of him afterwards just yeah inconsolable but no more at least he has the win under his belt perfect race from pole position um and you know Mercedes again another win another one two under their belt despite the fact that we were talking about Ferrari being the force the dominant force in this championship which isn't which hasn't happened I mean Sebastian Vettel did end up coming home in third um to move up into third in the Drivers' Championship, but Charles Leclerc, again, a big missed opportunity. I guess part of it was his fault too for crashing and qualifying in um, in Q2. He was fastest all weekend up until that point and then crash in Q2, same place where Robert Kubica also crashed as well earlier on. Um, but yeah, he could have potentially been fastest in qualifying. That's what everyone was saying. He started the race in eighth with a few penalties ahead of him that bumped him up a little bit. But I guess the big bone of contention was the strategy that he was put onto. Now, obviously, having set his fastest Q2 lap um, on the medium tyre before he crashed, he had to start the race on the medium compound. Um, which we thought perhaps might give him an advantage in the opening stint, means he could run a bit longer, get up a bit of an advantage, and perhaps finish the race on the softer tyre. Now, that sounds all good, you know, theoretically, and I'm sure anybody else could have made it work, but not Ferrari. 
Ferrari, once again, have found a way to shoot themselves in the foot strategically. And they left him out too long to the point where, you know, Hamilton and Bottas were catching up and eventually did catch up and pass him. And then he had to pit on lap 35. So by then, anyway, you know there was too much time lost and he just wasn't quick on the soft tyres in the final stint. So a big, big loss there for Ferrari. You know, we talked about China, how it could have been a third and fourth place finish for, and they finished third and fifth. Well, it was the case here again in Baku where there was third and fifth for them in the end. Um, I guess the only caveat that Leclerc could take away from the race is the fact that he took the fastest lap honours, taking another pit stop at the end of the race, a free pit stop because he was going to finish fifth anyway, um, and got the extra point for fastest lap. So, you know, that was probably the only benefit or shining light on that weekend for Leclerc, and just potential lost again. I mean, the fact that they just couldn't make that soft tyre work during the race, even Sebastian Vettel, he... Rude being not able to switch on the tyres in that first stint and eventually when he did come back and he was a bit closer to Lewis Hamilton he didn't get any closer than within three seconds so um, not a great weekend for Ferrari at all and this is sort of where now after the first four races the flyaway rounds where you start to question their championship championship credentials for this season and you know if they don't find a way to turn it around in in Barcelona next time out then you know this is where it's like right it's already a two-horse race between the two Mercedes drivers at the moment so we'll see how that all goes but going back to this race uh, Leclerc lost a lot more time during the virtual safety car that came out because of Pierre Gasly retirement unfortunately for Gasly yeah Gasly started from the pit lane because of uh, Weybridge um, infringement that he had um, missing the Weybridge during practice and I think they had the upgraded Honda engine on that car too so you know not a great way to debut that but they were quick Red Bull so Verstappen finished fourth anyway behind Sebastian Vettel um, and more, biz- more bizarrely I guess that was the only safety car intervention during the race and it was just one virtual safety car so the actual safety car didn't even come out for the entire race, um, and yeah, so that was your top six, basically, sorry, your top five, Leclerc coming in fifth, um, best of the rest again, Sergio Perez, strong, as he's always been in Baku, with those podiums that he's had in past years, and of course, uh, Lance Stroll as well, the only other non-works team driver, or big three team driver that's been on the podium in Baku, he was in ninth, so double points finish for Racing Point, handy points in the championship as well. Also in the double points was uh, McLaren too, and they would have been would have been buoyed by um, having Carlos Sainz and Lando Norris in the points there, unable to pass Sergio Perez towards the end of the race, and we saw that additional pit stop that Lando Norris made quite late in the race um, for a bit of a late charge but unfortunately couldn't really um, get anything out of it but still you know they finished what seventh and eighth so solid results for those guys Kimi Raikkonen rounding out the points um, keeping up his perfect record so far this year for Alfa Romeo 
it was a um, it was a rotten race for Renault though. Again, um, we'll talk about the Daniel Ricciardo incident first. Uh, lap thirty two, he um, was battling with Danny Kvyat. Uh, Ricciardo basically just outbraked himself. So did Kv- outbraked himself. Kvyat followed, but I guess Ricciardo didn't really see Kvyat where Kvyat was on track um, going into that runoff area because. He engaged reverse gear pretty quickly on the Renault and backed it straight into the Toro Rosso. And as a result, both cars were damaged and um, didn't finish the race. And unfortunately for Ricardo, he gets a bit of a grid penalty next time out in Barcelona. I think it's like two or three grid places, but still pretty rotten start to the season for those guys. And Nico Hülkenberg finishing in 14th, saying that he had no no weapons. That was his quote. Um, with the car to be able to do anything, to be able to challenge the cars ahead or, you know, even just be set a consistent pace that was competitive. And I guess this is where, same thing with Ferrari, I guess the pressure starts to mount on Renault here because this was supposed to be... Sorry, this was supposed to be the year that they made those um, developments, those advancements I guess towards the top three teams and whilst you know they're not going to be on the same level as the top three teams they're going to be solidifying that fourth spot in the constructors championship and scoring points on a on a very regular basis you know top six finishes top eight finishes and that's just not happened at all so far in the first four races and you know this is where again Barcelona will be a um, Barcelona will be a very key race because it's where the teams bring their first lot of major upgrades and you know whether that's going to be the silver bullet for Ferrari or sorry for Renault you know it's it's all going to come down to that because you've got two star drivers you've got a race winner there and now in Daniel Ricciardo who's made the leap of faith over from Red Bull um Ricciardo himself I guess his performances haven't been as um as up to scratch as they should be and we're not really seeing that class that we're all used to from him but yeah it's just yeah it's got to come together sooner or later for those guys otherwise you know you've got a competitive midfield this year McLaren's moved back up to fourth um racing points up there too now and Haas too you know they're struggling at the moment Gunter Steiner came out after the race and said that at the moment, their car is the worst with the Pirelli tyres. Um, just, you know, they had no race pace in the last couple of races. Now they're struggling with tyres. Roman Grosjean didn't even finish the race. Kevin Magnussen in 13th, just looking toothless. So, yeah, you know, some of those big names that we thought that might be heading this midfield battle don't seem to be really featuring at all so far, and that is Renault and Haas. And... I guess, you know, I won't be too harsh on Alfa Romeo as much. You know, they've had issues on Antonio Giovinazzi's side of the garage and the team have come out publicly and put their hands up and said that they're going to try and fix that for him. Um, But yeah, you know, it's Renault and Haas, probably the top two teams in that midfield that we thought were going to be the big contenders this year. And so far, they've just not shown that. So hopefully... Barcelona, where we get those upgrades, will turn things around. And Williams, unfortunately, 
as I already said, with Robert Kubica above, had that crash in Q1, but things were even worse for George Russell for the whole weekend because he was battling some kind of virus, and then in FP1, he was the one who was at the centre of this drain debacle where one of the drains was sucked off um, on the track and they had to cancel FP1, basically, to go and inspect all the drains and make sure that they were sealed properly. So that's the FIA doing that. Um, but yeah, there wasn't any consolation to Williams given that they had their floor damaged on their car and the fact that they're so they're still limited as far as how many parts they have or how quickly they can bring in parts, spares and all. Um, yeah, not a great scenes down there. But at the same time, as slow as they are, they are still consistently finishing the races. So they're slow but reliable at the moment. So I guess wrapping things up here then, quick look at the championship standings. Bottas moves back ahead um, at the top of the table by one point over Hamilton, Sebastian Vettel into third now, but yeah, 52 points to 87 that Bottas has, um, and then Charles Leclerc down in fifth with 47, it's, yeah, they're going to really need some big points to, to turn things around, and further down, I guess, you know, Checo Perez at the moment, best of the rest, ahead of Pierre Gasly, ahead of Kimi Raikkonen, Lando Norris in the top 10 too, ahead of Kevin Magnussen is, is really good. And then you've got your Renault drivers, 11th and 13th at the moment. Daniel Ricciardo only on six points with only that one point scoring finish so far this season. And in the Constructors' Championship too, similar story. Mercedes streaking ahead of Ferrari. Then you've got Red Bull sort of in the middle of nowhere. And then a tight battle in the midfield with McLaren on top at the moment ahead of Racing Point. Then you've got Alfa Romeo and... Renault, Haas, and then ahead of Red Toro Rosso and Williams. So, yeah, you know, it's pretty tight down there, but we've already got that trend starting to emerge, and Barcelona is going to be that key race where things can be turned around for the guys who have really started this street, started this season struggling, struggling like I am, struggling to talk as always at this time. But, yeah, so, you know... Again, Mercedes 1-2 finish. There's still plenty of races to go. That's what the optimist would say. That's what I hope too, that we get Ferrari come back into this championship. But who knows? Who knows? So back um, back to supercars land then. Um, heading out west this weekend to Perth. And for the Fast and the Furious style racing that it is already you know you might as well dub this the new fast and furious movie perth um fast and furious perth if the yeah you know if that'll get much support um so the night race this year moves to a two race format at the resurface barbagello raceway um friday night and saturday night will be the two um prime time slots for the two races 50 lap on for friday and 83 lapper for Saturday um, and because it was such a success as far as watching it on TV last year I mean the ratings would have been great on free to air as well and on pay TV this year you know you've got it being broadcast on free to air you've got it on your Foxtel and of course a lot of people jumping onto the new KO Sports as well the 
streaming service that pretty much streams whatever's on Fox Sports for for 25 bucks a month, which is you know it's a pretty good deal. I've always said if it comes on to the um the Samsung TV, I'll f- finally get rid of my Foxtel subscription and get on to get on to KO. But yeah, um, it's such a special thing that Supercars is doing. The night racing last year at Sydney Motorsport Park, it was Shane Van Gisbergen who won. Um, I just love how the teams embrace this with special liveries as well, you know, glow-in-the-dark style, neon. They've got the neon underlights, which is sort of like Fast and the Furious or even Need for Speed, you know, some of those classic games like Need for Speed Underground or whatever. And um, Penrite Racing, the Erebus team have done it. We've got... um, the Nissan team again, Kelly Racing with the, their underlights and all that. And um, a special wildcard entry too from Tim Blanchard, who we thought had retired at the end of last year, but it looks like he couldn't stay away for long. So he'll be the fourth car out of Brad Jones this weekend with a special Petronas-style F1 livery. And he's even going to run the number 77 as well on his car, which is uh, Bottas's number. So, you know, I mean... Blanchard, if he, you know, eats his porridge, um, perhaps he could win the race. Who knows? Be on pole position. Just saying. But yeah, um, but more pressingly, I guess, it's the first event since the new Mustang tweaks from supercars. Um, First time we'll see those new rear wings that the uh, Mustangs are going to run. Even though they, DJR Team Penske did win this race last year with the old Ford Falcon, um, how is the Mustang going to fare? And given the fact that I guess the conditions are going to be a whole lot different, new track surface, but also being at night with lower temperatures, it's do, it should still see the um, tyre degradation challenge still present, but to the same extent as it traditionally was at um, Barbagello will be quite interesting. And we've seen some interesting races in the past with that tyre deg and having made funny pit stops and whatnot like Craig Lowndes a few years ago was able to race from the rear of the field to the front Will Davison did it I think in the the Erebus Mercedes back in the day and then of course last year McLaughlin as well charging through to take the win so you know those teams have been traditionally strong here this is a bit of a wild card venue and these conditions might possibly throw a spanner in the works so we'll see how they go um, special race two for David Reynolds, 300 race start, fifth in the championship at the moment with 267 points in arrears of McLaughlin. So, you know, we talked about Erebus being a dark horse perhaps in this championship, but they're going to start having to, they're going to have to start winning races to potentially be in that battle. But, you know, let the man celebrate 300 races. It should be a good one though for those guys. Um... And we've talked a lot about Anton Di Pasquale so far this season. He got his maiden podium there at Phillip Island. So, you know, he's been on, on good form too uh, for the Erebus team. More on breaking news, kind of, or what news sort of came earlier today. Um, Jack LeBrock is going to be retained by Techno for the remainder of the season. Um, this comes despite there being a lot of friction and tension between he and the team um they said you know after the Australian Grand Prix that for the next two events being Tassie and also Phillip Island that 
he was locked in, but there was no certainty that he would have the drive beyond then and now they've come out and I guess after some mediation is what they what was written down um, have agreed to race till the end of the season and I think a lot of the tension was probably to do with the fact that Techno's Techno's form um, of late and the fact that they've just not had those upgrades come through from Triple Eight and they're not really working or who knows I mean LeBrock he was rookie of the year last year in his first season with Techno this year just unfortunately not really coming together and it's a real shame because LeBrock was one of those drivers earmarked for success um, from his time in Super 2 in the Dunlop series when he did become champion of course and then you know Techno as well have been a strong team for a long time a single car team but they've been pretty good I mean they've won Bathurst um, with Will Davison and John O. Webb there they've also um, won many races when Shane Van Gisbergen was there and they were consistently they were consistently a force until you know the last few years and that's sort of <coughs> brought about Will Davison's departure from the team of course and him going off to the um Milwaukee team for the Phil Monday outfit so yeah you know Techno their decline you can pretty much call it a decline unfortunately but yeah you know that's sort of reached a bit of a breaking point there with um with Jack LeBrock within the team and hopefully this doesn't be this isn't the last time we see or the last season, sorry, that we have LeBrock on the grid because he's such a highly rated driver. So hopefully beyond this year, um, he can shore up a seat elsewhere, but also for Techno too. Hopefully they can get their affairs in order because, yeah, John O'Webb definitely, um, you know, has taken this team to a lot of success in the past and you just want them to continue, continue on that path and whoever they end up, choosing for next year as their driver as well you know hopefully things or the relationship is a lot better than what it's been so far this year with Jack LeBrock so yeah exciting round of supercars racing coming up and um, you know at this moment probably a bit unpredictable given we don't know the extent of how those Mustangs will fare with those aero changes but at the same time it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a bad bet to go for DJR Team Penske and Scott McLaughlin to continue the form that they've had so far this year. So time to hit the globe now and have a look at what's going on elsewhere in the world of motorsport and a bit of news coming out in sports car racing with Fernando Alonso set to leave Toyota after Le Mans this year, of course, Le Mans being the final race of this WEC super season um, t- which is only a race away we got the spa t- spa six hour on this weekend <clears throat> so we got the spa six hour on this weekend sorry um, and yeah you know two races to go looks likely that if they win this weekend that um, number eight Toyota entry that they're going to actually win the endurance championship as well so for uh, Alonso to add another 
championship to his belt, I guess, with the Le Mans that he won last year, potential of doing it again. And it was already announced that Brennan Hartley will replace Alonso in that lineup. So um, Brennan Hartley getting a second chance in sports car racing at the top of LMP1 with Toyota for the next season. Um, I mean, he can still race with Porsche in Formula E, as I've always predicted. But yeah, for Hartley to get back to the top flight sports car racing is going to be pretty exciting too. And I guess for Alonso, he it was sort of acknowledged that you know he wants to complete the triple crown, and once he's picked off each each segment of it, which Le Mans he's done, you know he's going to go and try other things. But he hasn't said he has said that you know he's leaving the door open for a return to Le Mans and to the World Endurance Championship at a later time. But he needs a break, I guess, after this and. Of course, with the Indy 500 this month as well, I guess his biggest challenge this year will be to try and <coughs> secure that Indy 500 win to complete the Triple Crown. The only second driver to, only the second driver to have done it, of course, after Graham Hill. And um, you know, leaving the door open for a return to Le Mans. Like, I just had the thought earlier today when when thinking about it that why not return when McLaren decide to come into sports car racing of course with the hypercar regulations so there was a bit of a bit of chatter about that um earlier I think it was last week or this week Zach Brown saying something about the chicken and the egg and whatnot so you know that's still I guess a while away but I'm sure that people will want to start getting in development to see where they stand for those new regulations when they do come in in 2020-2021. Some F1 calendar news as well. Um, We have not really confirmation, but there has been a lot of talk firming around Zandvoort, um, firming up a spot for 2020 on the F1 calendar. Um, It's likely that the confirmation from what you know, people on motorsport.com say is going to be revealed in the month of May. Um, So that'll be good if it does happen. And the return of the Dutch Grand Prix, I guess, you know, coincides with the rise of popularity for Max Verstappen and, and, you know, how he's been a a force in Formula One pretty much since the start of his young career. And he's still obviously very young and winning races and they're not going to be in the championship this year Red Bull but perhaps winning races and who knows by the time that F1 does roll around to to Zandvoort in the near future that you know Verstappen could be a championship contender and this unfortunately if Zandvoort does get that spot it's likely that there's going to be a race that will miss out and that race is likely to be the one that has sort of the popularity has gone down because of the loss of Fernando Alonso on the F1 grid, and that's Barcelona. So they're saying that, yeah, with um, Zandvoort coming back, Barcelona will probably give way next year. So, yeah, that'll be pretty sad, given that Barcelona has been a favourite on the calendar for many years, and the Spanish Grand Prix, of course, but, you know, that's the way Formula One is works with the limited slots available, and I'm sure Liberty Media have done a a good enough job to try and negotiate better terms and also 
make it a lot easier on the race promoters too, not having those ridiculous deals that was the case during the Bernie Eccleston era. But yeah, you know, I guess this one, unfortunately, they can't do anything about until potentially coming back in the future if they can, as, you know, always talk about a European Grand Prix, rotating venues, stuff like that. So we'll see what happens then. But yeah, Zandvoort, pretty exciting to have that back in a with a new facility as well, updated pits, I think, that they'd have to do if they were to be ready for 2020. And then we've still got Vietnam coming up. So, yeah, next year we've got Vietnam on the calendar too. So whether they're going to do 22 races or keep it at the 21 and we, it means we might lose another race, we'll just have to wait and see. The plans for F1 to introduce a Q4 to qualifying have been abandoned as well for, for 2020. So... The sporting regulations for 2020 were published and they've not had any changes to qualifying, which is good because I think as much as they talk about these things and discuss them as potential, potentially doing them, you know, I think the majority or the, con- the vast consensus was that there's no need to change qualifying again, you know, particularly seeing as it's not been too long since the failed elimination qualifying that we had a few years ago 2016 I think I mean I've already purged it from the memory banks but yeah it was 2016 where they tried that for a couple of races and that just yeah you know was thrown out the door but Q4 I don't think it's necessary given that you know the three stages already work fine you know Q4 if if there was more cars on the grid that's probably the only time you'd look at that but yeah for the cost of you know, having extra tyres manufactured for the whole season as well, particularly when F1's trying to reduce costs, it's probably not the best idea at all. So, yeah, that one, glad that that's been sort of canned for now. But, you know, at the same time, I'm open to any new ideas that they have that are better than what we currently have. That's the key one because, you know, at the moment, I think it is qualifying should be left on its own as it is. Um, And to wrap up this week's podcast, I guess, and yeah, again, I'm sort of struggling with a bit of a sore throat. It's been better, the best it has so far this week. So yeah, there's just the stupid weather here in Melbourne constantly changing. And now we're suddenly in the midst of winter, I'm afraid. So body doesn't react well sometimes to these sudden changes. But yeah, to finish off this week's um, podcast, I guess... Yesterday being May the 1st, um, a very a very sad day, I guess, in the history of motorsport um, for those who are avid motorsport followers and, you know, just fans of sport in general, I guess, you know, you know the significance of that day in world history and given the fact that this year actually marks the 25th anniversary since that fateful day in Imola, the San Marino Grand Prix in 1994, um, and the death of Ayrton Senna, and of course all the tributes as they do come in year in, year out as well, and given that this is the 25th year, it seems a bit more a bit more poignant, I guess, and also the 30th of uh, April too, with Roland Ratzenberger still remembered as well f- after his... Um, tragically um, fatal crash that he had in qualifying that weekend and you know just looking through the 
photos and things that people are posting, <coughs> the videos that are coming out and on the F1 channel and everything. It's just, you know, it just reminds you about the presence of, of Senna and how he was this, you know, entity beyond, just beyond anything, you know, and obviously I'm not old enough to have ever seen him race or watch him race on the TV or anything live. But, you know, that's how strong Senna's legacy is that regardless of whether it's 25 years after his death or hopefully, you know, when we get to 50 years or 100 years, you know, he's still going to be remembered as one of the greatest of all time. You know, just his ruthlessness on track, his ability to get the most out of the machinery he had, you know, taking that Tolman in 84 to potentially winning his first Grand Prix in, you know, what was one of his first few races in the sport, um, going up against Alain Prost, of course, who'd become a chief rival of his in the future. And, yeah, obviously just finishing on the podium with the race cancelled or um, suspended. Then, yeah, you know, the rain, he was just a rain master too. That was talked about a lot you know, the lap of the gods in Donington as well, so, you know, it's just a, yeah, whenever you look back, you always look back at celebrating how much of a, how much of a presence Ayrton Senna was in F1, not only just for whatever he achieved on track, but also his off-track, you know, um, features as well, you know, the work he did in Brazil for the underprivileged children, trying to get them educated, and the foundation that he has with his family that still runs today, um, and, you know, just watching earlier today as well, footage of him in Spa trying to rescue Eric Comas, who was um, trapped in the car after a crash at Blanchemont, you know, you know, he as ruthless as he was and how fear he was just fearless and ruthless but also had the heart to look after people around him too like we talk about how he was bitter rivals with Alan Prost but you know at the same time if it meant one of them getting hurt you know or one of his fellow drivers getting hurt he wouldn't have that and he was totally selfless selfless in that regard which is um why a lot of people hold Senna in such high regard and I guess why we won't ever get another driver like him you know it's it's hard to ever replace someone who is that good and I know a lot of people make comparisons between Hamilton and Lewis Hamilton and Ayrton Senna as well you know that's fair enough and we heard Gerhard Berger actually come out and say that he thinks the closest driver to Senna or to Senna's caliber in the modern era, has been Lewis Hamilton. So yeah, you know, whilst as far as getting close to emulating someone, you know, you can in a way, but at the same time, everyone's irreplaceable. And even Lewis Hamilton, after he does decide to retire from F1, I'm not going to go and start comparing him to, oh, you know, he was as good as him or whatever, He's been great, you know, he's one of the greatest of all time, definitely there's no arguing that, but let him be his own person, let him have his own legacy, and not say that, oh, you know, he wasn't as good as Senna, or he was like Senna, 
you know, Berger obviously being close to centre can say that, but, you know, I just feel like people who don't know <coughs> shouldn't really make those sort of comparisons. But, yeah, you know, Hamilton is going to have his own legacy, which will be great because, you know, we want to remember him as who he was, not who, what another driver was or whatever. And Senna's legacy, 25 years on, it's just, it's good to see that even new fans of the sport, when they get in, you know, admire that legacy and hail Senna as being one of those greatest drivers of all time. So, yeah, you know, not much more that I can add because it's the same thing. Like, it's not going to ever change. It's, if anything, you know, the my admiration for Senna as I continue to watch old races and just see some of those intricacies that you might not see in just a season review or a summary or an article that someone writes, just watching him on track, you know, in those old races is is just something else, you know. There's just that presence about him that you don't see in any other driver at the moment or, you know, sometimes you do, sometimes you don't, so... Yeah, a, a, two, a truly special driver. And again, you know, with again with uh, Roland Ratzenberger too, you know, a, a driver lost so early who could have had a, like a long and fulfilling career as well in the sport. So, yeah, not much more to add to that, I guess. Um, still struggling with the sore throat, as I said. But um, I'm sure next week we'll be back to... Uh, firing on all cylinders and also looking forward to the European leg of the championship too. So until then, we'll enjoy some supercars and some MotoGP this weekend. But other than that, thanks for ju- uh, thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next week. Ciao.